Ask anybody in the LGBTQ community and they will tell you that sticking together is important. How are we going to fight for our rights and ignore other people like us? But the issue of community is actually really complex. In this episode, we discuss some problems bisexual people face regarding community. How do you identify other bi people? How does our relationship with the other letters of the LGBTQ acronym impact our mental health? And does the bisexual community even exist? Welcome to the By and By. I wanna kiss him. I wanna kiss her. I wanna draw my fingers through your hair and hear you say you've never done this before with someone like me. So, let's jump in. I ask my interviewees, do you feel that there is a bi or pan community? And if so, do you feel included or excluded in it? Here's what I got. Um, I don't think there's particularly a community just for like bi or pan people. Yes, and yeah. <laughs> I have never encountered a specifically bi or pan community. I think there's definitely like a gay community and a lesbian community and a trans community, but I don't think there's like a bi or pan community. Uh, so I feel like it's a very again geographical thing but also community and culturally based thing i don't really see much of a bisexual community as much of like the lgbt community as a whole i just i feel like i'm in a bi community when i'm in a gay club or something or like i don't know i don't always feel like that in gay that's true very, like, very good point sometimes actually. there's just a lot of very gay men <laughs> like, i don't relate to this it's <laughs> very true i completely agree with that i don't think there is a bi community at all it feels as if there is a lesbian, gay and trans community, which is obviously great, but bisexuals and queers kind of fall through the gaps in those communities. A lot of it's kind of like joined together with all forms of queer people. Yeah. yeah. With pride and everything, it's like the amount of like like gay, cis, white males that just like prance around being like, it's my day and like push you out of the way. And, like, eh, and there was only me. at London Pride last year, they had literally one bisexual group which they only added because they put together the list and they were like, oh, we've just realised, somebody pointed out to them, I can't remember. Yeah, we have no bi representative mm-hmm. in this. It's like, Heparami is there, but there's no bisexual. It's like, <laughs> like what's going yeah. on? <laughs> Online, yeah. In person, no. I don't know anyone that's bi. Like, <laughs> you, but like, that's the thing you do. You just don't know that yeah, they're bi. exactly. You have to make a podcast and yeah. advertise for bi people and all of a sudden they'll tell you. <laughs> 50 people, let's go. <laughs> Past like knowing individual peoples, I don't feel like there's specific community. I think it just depends on like the access you have and where you are. Like in my school personally, there's like quite a big pan community, and we're all like very inclusive and with we feel comfortable with each other. If I didn't have that, or say the internet, like even on Twitter, like you can find a big community of people and stick together with them. But I think it depends on the who you're surrounded by and the outreach you have. And I feel like I've made a lot of friends purely because I am bisexual. And I feel like that is a community in itself. Mm -hmm. Because then I feel like I know someone, they know me. I could go to them if I need anything. Any advice, for example, about being bisexual? Like, it was mainly because like, like I'm brown and bisexual, like I'm mixed race. So like that, like most of the bi people I know, like I I have a couple of brown friends that are bi. Most most people I know in general are white because I live in England and (laughs) I live in what I've 
came from a white area, like most people I know are white, so like that's already a thing for me. So like finding other like by brown people like is difficult yeah. I guess because even when you are bi you can still go to a club and have that mindset of seeing two girls getting together and be like oh they're both gay mm. you don't know someone's really bi until technically they really they say it yeah. or if they literally go from a girl to a guy because they're having a great night <laughs> like literally <laughs> you won't know so it's a lot more like exciting to find out you're like oh, friend <laughs> nice so, many of the answers I received were that there is no bi community, that it's wrapped up in LGBTQ plus community. But then I also got a lot of, you just have to know where to look. And I think Arthur made a really good point at the end there. Part of this might be to do with the fact that you can't visibly tell if someone's bi. Unless they tell you, or you've seen it on their social media, it's basically impossible. And speaking of social media, a lot of my interviewees also said that they feel a bi community online more than in real life. So basically, it's a mess. <laughs> but I wanted to look into it more. It seems like being bisexual or pansexual for a lot of people is quite a lonely experience. So I thought, what do gay and lesbian communities have that we don't? One thing I realised is that gay and lesbian communities have archetypes, right? So you've got butch and femme lesbians, bears and twinks and all kind of stuff that I'm not going to talk too much about because I clearly don't know much about it. But they're basically stereotypes, categories for people to slot themselves into. Stereotypes can make us feel secure. We know what kind of person we are. Other people know what to expect from us. We can find other people like us, and we can identify other people who aren't like us. We can build community and find validation, however shallow and appearance-based it is. For example, in Fun Home, which is a graphic novel and musical about the life of Alison Bechdel, a young Alison sees a butch woman for the first time, and it becomes an anchor in her memory, something which helped her along the way to eventually realising her sexuality. And something interesting is the fact that the stereotypes of butch and femme haven't actually always been confined to lesbians. I was reading a thing recently about actual butch and femme labels, and about the fact that um, sort of limiting them to lesbianism doesn't actually reflect their historical use because they've more, been yeah. more about queer women and sort of the differentiation between lesbian and bi women has come much later than the actual sort of original aesthetics of butch and femme within queer spaces. Butch and femme communities, bi women have always been part of these but they just like kind of weren't counted so like during the heyday of butch and femme and like what was called like lesbian bar culture um, women didn't even really use the term lesbian. You would like literally refer to yourself as a butch or femme. I think it would probably be the same for like gay men's culture and that bisexual men were like just erased as being simply gay. And then there's people who don't fit stereotypes. And I think these are the people who are more likely to feel a bit lost within their sexuality and sense a lack of community. And what I found in my interviews is that this begets more categories. It kind of makes sense. If you can't see somewhere you fit in, then you create your own space, or you try to spot trends so you can build some kind of framework for people like me look like this. I asked my interviewees what would visually make you think someone is bi or pan, and surprisingly, or not surprisingly, depending on where you stand, there was actually some consensus. Of course, there were also a lot of people who fell out of the loop and that bisexuality and pansexuality has no established culture or common ways of being, at least as far as they know. I don't think bisexuals have a 
at all. I mean, you, you can be quite feminine and then maybe get with a girl and people would be like, oh, well, you're a lipstick lesbian. Or you could be quite masculine and then get with a guy and then be like a daddy. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I think a lot of them are taken from gay and lesbian signifiers. I've had one woman ask if I was bisexual because I looked like a feminine tomboy, whatever that means. So perhaps bi women look like a mix between butch and femme. Because of like the nature of like fashion and the internet now, everything like becomes co-opted so quickly that it's like really hard to tell if you're queer or just like really fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing a tweet that was like bisexual culture is having your hair blue at some point. I, I I'm part of quite a huge community of LGBTQ plus people, um, and a lot of them kind of do dress like um almost kind of similar and it's always like brightly colored hair and these really awesome like expressions of themselves and i love it it's what i'm trying i like bright colors and glitter and i feel like that's very queer yeah. i guess colored hair i don't know if i was to put in my head like what i thought someone by would be is i don't know why but denim jacket a short haircut for some reason horizontal stripes I, I, I mean, me personally, if I looked in the mirror, I'd be like, you look like a backstreet boy, you don't look like a bisexual. <laughs> look at this fucking hair, what have I done? With myself, as quite a lot of bi people that I know, a lot of us dress like alternative, kind of punky, kind of grungy. And I think some of that comes from the sentiment with the like punk kind of subculture is almost kind of like rebelling against the system, which is in a way kind of what it what it feels like to be bi. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not straight, I'm not gay. I really do find some form of thrill in being androgynous. I'm here and I exist and I'm almost making a statement with walking outside the door with my badges and, you know, my short hair, which my dad despises and like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that says more about my gender expression than my sexuality. I'm not entirely sure how to explain it. Like shorter hair or an undercut and like yeah. maybe a jacket and good boots. I feel like undercuts maybe also like a hair. lesbian thing though. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah. I saw the joke about cause it's like half short, half long. <laughs> yeah. It's like a bi hairstyle. Yeah. It depends on, your expression of your gender as well. Self-aware gender expression that is a bit playful. So there's some common themes. Brightly coloured hair, a kind of soft punk look, playing with gender expectations, but most of it is coded as queer in general, rather than specifically bi. I also got a super interesting response from one of my interviewees, Emma. I had an issue a while back because I was worried that I was straight passing which sounds weird because straight passing is great but like also i wanted people to know that i wasn't straight straight passing in case you don't know what that means or haven't figured it out it's a term which refers to the idea of seeming like a straight person to the outside world and the term in itself is fascinating it reinforces the idea of visible queerness and again being visibly queer whatever that means to you can have a purpose it's a little bit dangerous we have to be a little bit careful not to let them define stereotypes but then on the other hand i mean they're, they're useful because there's loads of people i go to the club and i'm like well i don't think they're gay or i won't try and get with them because they don't look queer and then they surprise you with a sleep tight by the phone yeah but yeah that's yeah. really interesting the way that these kind of visual signifiers can be useful yeah. in situations like nightclubs where you 
don't you know talk to someone yeah. you just look at them i have a friend um who's non-binary and they they were saying like people just like ah when they say to them like i like your hair they're thinking like oh you're queer i'm queer and i like that <laughs> i really like what tamara was saying there it shows a kind of invisible visibility simply by looking or dressing a certain way are we speaking in codes to each other and as cool as that sounds is that necessarily a good thing in viola orson's essay girlfriend wanted bisexuals need not apply she writes quote granted things like clothing and personal style have often been important cultural shorthand identifying the members of a group i would ask that people think on this though how often has this led to a factionalist attitude?" Unquote. It's something to think about. A lot of my interviewees also mentioned bi-culture is tweets. That's tweets which begin with bisexual culture is, and then go on to describe something which they either jokingly, seriously, or some measure of both think constitutes a bisexual culture. There's definitely like a uh fake culture that people like to talk about especially on the internet but I don't think there actually like is one that's interesting can you elaborate more on that um it's just like have you never seen any of them tweets being like bi-culture is not being able to drive like stuff like that like there's very much a joke about the fact that we all have stuff in common apart from the fact we're bi yeah, I think people joke about it more than they're actually being a community for bi or pan people. Tweeting about bi culture. <laughs> bi culture. Those memes that you get, like, you know, if you search bi culture, bis- bisexual culture is on Twitter, there's loads of really great jokes around what it's like to be bi. I don't really, I don't really see a bi culture. I, don't, I just don't feel like there's as much culture around being bi and pan. But I feel like that's because people aren't aware of it. It's... A sort of almost belonging everywhere and not quite belonging anywhere-ness. I think bi-culture is maybe just being a part of other cultures? Almost just Ooh. being like... Yeah, usually it's but like, if, example, you're, if you're a bi guy, you usually you like would slot maybe into gay culture. And if you're a bi oh, woman, you're going to um, maybe, slot into like... Maybe, maybe. Lesbian culture, and if you're bi and trans, you usually would then like... Mm. Mostly being the trans yeah. culture, like I think bi culture that, doesn't is it? just just being there <laughs> in the wider LGBT. Yeah, showing up. Yeah, it's <laughs> like we're here. Um, <laughs> don't expect anything else. Um. When I asked my participants if they could describe bi culture, other than references to the concept of tweets about bi culture, I didn't get much of a solid response. I searched for these tweets and didn't find much cohesiveness, other than a general theme of indecision, confusion, and talking about crushes. I'll read a few out here, and I'll put links to them in the description, because I want to credit the authors of these tweets, but I don't know how to pronounce people's Twitter handles. (laughs) Bisexual culture is me loving girls and the concept of boys. Bisexual culture is always doubting if you're actually bi or just faking it. Bisexual culture is developing a crush on a man and responding by trying to dress like him. Bi culture is having a crush on a girl and a guy and having neither of them like you back. Pan culture is relating to most of the bi culture posts and liking them, but not retweeting them. It's interesting, but 
I don't think I can make much sense of it other than that I think these kind of tweets are a method of community building for a community that isn't yet stable. So looking at other more stable and intact communities, I wondered about the LGBTQ plus community as a whole. We might find stability there, if not with other bisexuals. So I asked my participants how they perceived bi and pan people's relationship with the rest of the LGBTQ plus community. I don't feel included because we're not represented. We're not spoken about. We're not, we don't seem to be enough. And there are loads of lesbians, there are loads of like gay people who will still say, I don't want to get with bisexuals because they're greedy, because they haven't made up their mind, because they're going to look at me as a phase, they're going to look at me as like experimentation. There's still so much stigma against bisexuality that it's difficult to be a part of the community that you still don't feel accepted in, even though you should feel accepted in it. But there is like a shocking amount of biphobia. I didn't see why like as people being oppressed, we should oppress other people in turn. It just doesn't make sense to me. Within the LGBT plus community, you you have still got some people um, saying things like, oh, I, I wouldn't date a bi person. So there's like that whole thing in the kind of gay community where people put in their like, bias, no fats, no femmes, no Asians. And I'm oh. like, I'm all three of those things. <laughs> Especially like, cause I find like, I've got friends that are in like, heterosexual relationships but they're bisexual and then suddenly like because they're in a heterosexual relationship people will shun them and be like oh you're not bi it's like I'm not gonna date everyone like (laughs) I'm gonna I choose this one person because I like them it's not because I'm now straight yeah like they're always like oh it's easy for you because if you're in a heterosexual relationship then you don't have the same problem it's like now you're giving me more problems yeah (laughs) yeah bi women and lesbians and bi men and gay men face really different like forms of oppression and different difficulties yeah. Yeah. doesn't make them any less valid. Mm-hmm. A lot of LGBT sort of lesbian, gay, trans and transgender tend to think that they can ask us the questions that they don't want heterosexuals asking them. So have you actually slept with the opposite sex? Are you sure that you're not just gay? That kind of thing. And you just sort of sit there thinking, would you want me to ask you that question? Why are you asking me that question? My my brother still to this day says that I'll grow out of it, and he's gay, which is terribly insulting. It's I've 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 to have an argument with a gay person about your sexuality is 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 hard, really. I find it difficult to be accepted by the lesbian community as I'm very femme, and often it's assumed that I'm straight. However, I have loads of gay male friends, and that community is often very accepting of me, regardless of whether they know my sexuality or not. You know, we're, we're, we're still a part of the community, but just slightly more in the background than the LG. I, I guess that's, um, that, that is a major problem in the community right now. Um, like, bi people do exist, but let's be real. It's the, it's the gay community for the gays who only like the other gays. There is definitely hostility within the LGBT community, but I'd, I'd say that's changing. Improving, definitely. I don't think we are where we need to be, but we are certain we're certainly better off than where we used to be. But there are like that's kind of why I feel like the queer community is like maybe a bit different. In that, I feel like it's more accepting. Like there is more like bi people and just like queer people who are just generally kind of more fluid and seem to be more accepting. So like the queer community as opposed to LGBTQ+. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) I like that, the idea that these different labels can kind of connote 
different yeah yeah the acronym is kind of like these are the lesbians these are the bisexuals these are the gays queer is just everyone <laughs> In Paula C. Rust's 1993 article, Neutralising the Political Threat of the Marginal Woman, Lesbians' Beliefs About Bisexual Women, Rust opens, quote, One might expect lesbian and bisexual women to form a strong alliance because of their common marginalisation in a heterosexist and sexist society. As noted by Simmel, a common external threat often causes those under siege to cohere. But Simmel also noted that as the besieged close ranks in defence, differences among them became potential sources of weakness. Ironically, therefore, although an external threat might have the effect of causing a group to cohere more tightly, it might also have the effect of exacerbating internal divisions." Unquote. Amongst 346 homosexual women, Rust found that, quote, "...67% expected at least half of bisexual women to realise that they are lesbian. Lesbians were also more likely to suspect that bisexuals deny their true sexuality than they were to believe that lesbians do the same." Unquote. In their 2008 article, Attitudes Towards Bisexual Men and Women, Israel and Moore write, quote, Gay men's and lesbian women's fear of being bisexual is another reason that some may deny the existence of bisexuality. The possibility of being bisexual may threaten the sense of self and community for individuals who have based their social identity on a lesbian or gay sexual orientation." Unquote. It was mentioned amongst my interviewees that many of the LGTQ community view us as struggling less due to straight-passing privileges. But we can see here that we struggle with unique and confusing problems problems of invalidation, of exclusion, and of belittlement. And in addition to these unique problems, we have the historical burden of homophobia in common with LG communities. I asked my participants if they thought their sexuality had any effect on their mental health, and the answer, with a few exceptions, was an overwhelming yes. We, we're past the days, hopefully, where people are going and being sent to mental asylums for their sexuality. Oh, yeah. But I don't know whether it's gone from an obviously more physical imprisonment to a more mental one, especially mm. in this world where everything's so inspected with social media. It's like the pressure to put your sexuality online. If you see yourself as Noah and you know the flood's coming, like the flood is always coming in life, the flood is always coming, you need to make sure that you have an appropriate social structure in place for when the flood arrives. So, like, you need to make sure that, you know, if for you having a partner is important who, like, you have an honest and trusting relationship, that you, like, are maintaining that. So if things are difficult in the rest of your life, you have that. Equally, I think it's important that you maintain a good number of friendships outside of that. For me, it's not an issue, <clears throat> um, the bisexuality aspect of it, but I can see if you feel unsure or questioning or unsupported in your voyage of discovery how it could play into your mental health yeah, it must feel so isolationary like if you're in a town of you know 300 people of which only 75 youths and you go to school together and you're mm. the only one and nobody knows right so with a resounding yes from my interviewees i went and spoke about mental health with some people from the brighton charity the lgbt switchboard Hi, I'm Daniel Cheeseman. I'm the CEO of Brighton & Hove LGBT Switchboard. 
Hi, I'm Sarah Kai Faulkner and I run the LGBTQ Disabilities Project at Switchboard. Yeah, well, um, Switchboard, we're the oldest um, LGBT charity in Brighton Hove. I've been around 43 years. Um, initially was set up as the um, a lesbian and gay helpline um, and supported people back in the sort of, um, mid-1970s um, when sort of post-partial decriminalisation um, but still very different from the world that we live in today. Um, and over the years really have evolved to um, now embrace more identities beyond the, the L and the G. So we're now LGBTQ um, switchboard. Um, and we've really very much over the years taken the ethos of the, the listening on the helpline out into our project work. I think we're at an interesting time as well within sort of the LGBTQ plus communities because we over the years have have uh, I think all been well intentioned put sexual orientation gender identity all the identities together but it, it's far more complex than that and I think now there's a realization particularly in a, an area of the demographics that Brighton and Hove has that we're now thinking much more in an intersectional way but that's problematic because there are um individuals and generations within communities that perhaps haven't thought in that way before so there's we're, we're kind of coming up against all the time individuals perhaps feeling threatened or um, criticized when when other identities are just trying to, to have a voice or kind of establish well what about us too and we've been forgotten left behind or um, it's all been about that identity kind of um, being careful in what what I'm saying but kind of leading the way and we, it's difficult and I'm speaking as a, a 40 year old gay man um, it's problematic but it's great that that we're having the debates and the conversations now um, and that we're challenging one another Sarah Kai's nodding <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's is it surprising I'm not sure when when you I guess it isn't really um, when you experience discrimination from those who you might imagine would be protective or celebratory of you and they aren't you know there might be some sections of the lgbtq plus community who are resistant to new language you know for non-binary identities trans identities pan poly people bi people um, there's still a lot to be done and it hurts when it comes from someone who's mm. heterosexual, but when it comes from those who you think are your family, that that's difficult. I mean, the type of calls that we get, or the type of issues when we're supporting people in our, our group settings, are I mean, just just the prejudice that um, people f still face. Yeah, we have a high percentage of people calling us would would, would say that they have mental health. Um, issues. It might be controversial to say but I don't think I know anybody who's queer who doesn't have mental health issues and that isn't an exaggeration um, or has had them at some point if not anymore because of discrimination, prejudice, um, family rejection, um, internalised hatred and it often leads to addiction, that's, that's a big issue. According to Stonewall's 2017 school report, the NHS estimates that roughly 1 in 10 young people in general have deliberately harmed themselves, and this figure for lesbian, gay and bi people is 6 in 10. 
female and non-binary LGBT pupils are more likely to deliberately harm themselves than male pupils, and disabled LGBT young people are more likely than non-disabled. And this may be surprising to you, or it may not, but young people who are bi, or who identify as another term such as pansexual or queer, are more likely to harm themselves than lesbian or gay young people. In a 2016 article for Everyday Feminism, Catherine Garcia writes that according to statistics from the 2014 Movement Advancement Project report and Rainbow Health Ontario, we can see that, quote, bisexual men are 6.3 times more likely than straight men to consider suicide, while gay men are 4.1 times more likely. Bisexual people have reported higher rates of substance abuse than gay and lesbian people. Bisexual people report higher rates of anxiety, depression and mental illness than gay and lesbian people. Programmes created to help bisexual people receive only 0.3% of funds given to gay and lesbian support programmes. Unquote. And look, I'm not trying to make this into the oppression Olympics, but I think it's important to get the message out that being bisexual doesn't erase your oppression, your feelings of loneliness and ostracism. Being excluded from within the LGBTQ community exacerbates these feelings. Israel and Moore write, quote, Bisexual individuals have reported a lack of validation, isolation and ostracism from both heterosexual and lesbian gay communities. Such experiences with negative attitudes may adversely affect the mental health and well-being of bisexual individuals. Furthermore, Therapists' negative attitudes may lead to biased assessment and treatment of bisexual clients. Internalisation of such negative attitudes by bisexual individuals may create a barrier to developing a positive bisexual identity." Unquote. And that might seem clear to you now, but that's not even scratching the surface. The intersection of multiple identities can complicate things. There are some fantastic essays in a book called The Bible, an anthology of personal narratives and essays about bisexuality, which shed light on this subject. I recommend Jaina Tavares, On Being Black and Bifurious, and Joseph Guthrie, FML, Fix My Life. So, how do we even start to fix this problem? Well, one way of working towards a better future for bisexual people lies in research. In her Everyday Feminism article, Catherine Garcia writes, quote, Much of the research done specifically about bisexual people and mental health used small sample sizes that were not indicative of the diversity among the bisexual community. Second, the research done in the US was either difficult to access or combined the experiences of bisexual people with those of gay and lesbian people. Third, there was much more research available about the mental health status of bisexual women than bisexual men." Unquote. If we balance out our research, then we can gain a clearer understanding of the problems that plague us, and that's a start towards fixing them. So you might now be thinking, well, I'm not a researcher, so what can I do? A lot of my participants talked about activism, and not activism in the overt way of starting a riot or waving placards, but a new view of activism. Like, I think not all activism has to be, like, protest. I think that's really important. Yeah. Like, not everything has to be, like, kicking over things. And I think I think a lot of it can be ignorance. Like, people just don't really understand. And then if you kind of explain to them calmly, they'll be like, ah, oh, I get that now. 
but I feel like now it's easier to be an activist because there is the anonymity of the internet. So many of my friends who are doing anthropology are like, oh, this is like lazy activism. And it's like, well, yeah, but this is the activism we have now and it can mean more than what you think. The most basic form of activism can proudly be to say that you are that and that you are proud and that you are providing perhaps a representation. I think mental ill health and, um, in the queer community is a huge, huge problem and with services being cut people find it very hard to gain support so there's an awful lot of peer support that goes on informally, not really structured but you know people people offering rooms to stay in for people who've just arrived, young queer kids who've arrived in Brighton who are trying to find safety. They might be um, might go to the, the local queer bar and say, look, there's this kid, can anybody help? And then they have a bed for you know a week or something. There might be friends call each other and say, at the moment we need to look out for such and such a person. We have to do it ourselves. But it's hard when you're vulnerable yourself. I think it's great that we're having these conversations and that we're challenging one another. It's one of the things I love about working at Switchboard, that of a team of volunteers and staff who are all identify under the queer umbrella. Um, I'm learning something new every day of coming to work. I think that if if you're setting something up for queer people, don't just advertise it on the scene because that misses an awful lot of people who are non-seen, who are isolated in their rooms, who aren't social, who are socially anxious, who just don't really fit in on the scene. Really be creative with where you advertise it. The library, that's somewhere that is quiet and people go there as a retreat. Put your flyers in there, use um, the internet because a lot of people socialise purely online because it's safer or feels safer. Community spaces, virtual spaces, not just LGBTQ bars. Activism has two levels, what you can do and what you think you can do, and what you can do is always more than what you think you can do, but that's only because you don't know that you can do it. One last thing I think would help is education and representation, which is the theme of the next episode. So tune into that and let's learn together. I wanna kiss him. I wanna kiss her. I wanna run my fingers through your hair and hear you say you've never told this before. Someone like me. This was the second episode of the By and By, a podcast by me, Helena McCormack, for the Stonewall Young Campaigners Programme. The theme tune for the by and by is I Want to Kiss You by The Spook School and all background music was by Sus Barman. The cover artwork is by Lois Tierney Illustration. You can find links to all of their work in the description as well as the references for any claims made or texts cited in this episode. Thanks to all my interviewees for sharing their stories and lending their time. A special thanks to my Kickstarter backers Chloe Maskell, Lauren Brown, John Glanville, Amberine Khan, Izzy Simmons, Charlie Knowles, Jacob Miller, Gregory Morrison, and several anonymous donators. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned next week for an episode on education.